Welcome, 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 guys. I thank you so much for joining Rusty Moy once again on this platform. You guys could be listening to anyone, but you decided to be listening in to a Rusty Moy once again. Um, the episode that I will be working on and have been working on for you guys and for myself as well is why is inflation rising right now? Inflation, guys, is something that we know and we live upon right now. But I don't know if all of us is aware of the inflation and what we're going through day by day. So in this subject matter and in this episode, I will discuss inflation, what we're going on, what we're going into and what we've been dealing with um, during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Overall, the prices in July climbed 5.4% year over year. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, But I'm not going to go on the statistics. I'm going on what I see, guys, day to day. But according to the labor statistics, 0.9 over the past month. The indexes for homes, food, energy, and new automobiles were key drivers of inflation growth last month. And of course, those items are key to the basic financial life of normal Americans, just like me and you guys, thereby stretching their bottom line. Even when you strip out Food, energy prices, so-called core CPI inflation prices rose by 4.3% year over year, or about 2% points higher than before the pandemic. So we're going beyond COVID-19. Certain items contribute mightily to these historic gains, as anyone has been shopping for an automobile recently can attest. New cars and trucks were 1.7% more expensive in July than in June. Counting an expensive trend, energy prices rose 1.8% while gas prices alone rose 2.4%. Just in time for the summer vacation season. What I learned is the Federal Reserve, whose jobs it is keeping the price growth stable has been telling anyone who's listened to expect higher inflation. In the near term, as the economy gets back to normal, the Fed is also saying that nearly term of inflation increases should give away to more healthy price growth over the longer haul. Still, the July CPI numbers I've noticed were combined with those in the past few months will put the perspective to test, saying that higher prices are terrestrial and inflation was too low before the pandemic and it's easier than actually living through the increase, especially during the July wages over a gain of 4.0% from the prior year, okay? But what's going on with the rising prices and what does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? The prices has been rising right in the grocery market, if you've noticed, gas pump, and much, much more. But with a short, a short commercial break, I shall be back. Discussion, brothers from another, inflation gains, and the COVID-19 recession. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. It gets better from here. Yes. Inflation is something that we all have been experiencing during this pandemic. Don't allow yourself to think that you have it. This is something that 
has been going on beyond COVID-19. But it's being discussed more now than ever. And Rusty will be discussing much, much more in the next four months of 2021. So stay tuned, stay, stay relevant, and stay vigilant. Welcome, welcome. I just went into a short break, guys. And if you're just joining me for the first time ever, I am Rusty Moy, and this is the platform, your host, your podcaster, that's giving you the most up-to-date creative content that I possibly can. And our episode is, Why is Inflation Rising Right Now? And continuing on, I'm discussing with you guys Brothers from another, inflation gains, and the COVID-19 recession. So I'm just going to go right into it. To get a sense of what's happening, let's look at airfares. Once the COVID-19 pandemic began last spring, demand for travel plummeted, folks canceled tickets, delayed vacations, and hunkered down as stay-at-home orders took effect. This, of course, led to airfare prices to drop and many, many more, much more. In April of 2020, for instance, airfares fell 24% year over year, and they wouldn't spend most of the rest of 2020 at these depressed levels. When you compared airline ticket prices and the time of COVID-19 to prices from before times, they were typically about 25% less expensive. So have you heard it? 25% less expensive? This is realistic, guys. This is no fairy tale that we're living in. But once a year passes these year-over-year comparisons, turn the June CPI report, for instance, compared to vaccine-era airline prices to what they were after COVID-19 struck. So it's not terribly surprising that June 2021 airline prices were almost 25% higher than a year before. Yes, I've done the research. You have actually experienced this hands-on and maybe a friend or a family member. So I know we are not alone. If only because of so few people were buying tickets then. This is one of the key points that the Fed has been pounding away at. You must pay attention to these so-called base effects. Now that vaccines are widely available and COVID-19 cases have dropped More people will fly. Yes, airline prices are more higher than a year ago, but they remain cheaper than were they before pre-pandemic. Have we noticed? I know I have. Maybe you haven't. So let's dive in a little bit deeper. Still, these base effects don't explain everything. Take used cars and trucks, why prices decline going into the recession. It is not the same that used cars and trucks became less expensive than they were in February 2020. In fact, they're never been more expensive than they are now. The prices has plundered. 
and we have watched it. The reason for the hike are tied to the pandemic, to be sure, simply is limited thanks to the new car production being stemmed by an ongoing chip shortage. People hanging into their leases for longer and rental car companies, a major source of used cars having fewer to unload after limiting their inventory when the pandemic struck. The Fed has warned the public over these other supply chain issues to saying that it'll time for sectors of the economy to get back to normal. Is it normal? Do you think it's normal? Guess what? We're still not normal. Once these kinks are all worked out, the Fed asserts inflation will stop growing so quickly. So do you think that'll happen? I'm not sure. But what I will say and what I do know is, should you be worried about the CPI inflation? And I'm going to discuss that right here. That's cold comfort for families in the market for a used car. And consumers will need to jurisdictions with how they allocate their budget over the next few months. But weird price movements were inevitable side effects of closing down the economy to quash the virus. So they shouldn't be totally unexpected. Luckily, they're likely to be short-lived through many persistent while the Fed works to get people back to work and much, much more. I believe the Federal Reserve is more focused on the employment part of its dual mandate and will remain accommodative for as long as it takes to ensure the kind of returns to full employment, which I know. In short, the Fed low interest rates and buying purchases, so-called easy money, meant to encourage economic activity, likely aren't going anywhere for the time being and businesses and their stocks may continue to grow. So do you think this is a good time for stocks? I don't. If this is a good time to be locked into um, buying your first home right now, no. But some people may beg the difference. But this is just how I feel for the next four months in 2021. This kind of support is likely needed as the April and May job reports disappointed many, which we have seen. June saw employers adding more workers, but unemployment rate remained well above pre-pandemic levels and many and millions remained out of work. But the week of September 4th, there is going to be many individuals not receiving unemployment compensation and PUA because they will be removed from their claims and discontinued and no more um, PUA funding or federal aid for unemployment compensation. How do I feel about that? You have millions of individuals jobless with no funding and nothing available. So how do they stay afloat during this time of inflation with the numbers rising at the food market, at the grocery, at the gas pump, and much, much more. So what will they do during this challenging pandemic? The focus on getting back to full employment, and that won't be a swave to temporary rises of inflation. In fact, the Fed had announced last August that it would tolerate higher inflation than its target for a modest period of time since inflation has been too low for the last 10 to 15 years. The Fed doesn't expect higher inflation to stick around once more people are back to work. 
Do I believe that? No. In testimony, Congress had said sometime in June, acknowledging that inflation was up in recent months and blamed it on basic effects, higher oil prices, consumer re- reopening, their wallets and supply chain itch, supply chain issues, which I felt was bizarre. As the transitorial supply effects abate, inflation expected to drop back towards our long, longer run goal. However, market observers are now left wondering just how transitorial is the transitorial inflation spike and how long will average Americans stomach it? How long? They've been stomaching for 10 to 15 years. If you have been listening to this episode, this has been going on inflation longer than pandemic, pre-pandemic and beyond that. This is something that we're going through and we must realize it right now. So with a short commercial break, I shall return with a little bit more within this episode of awareness of inflation. So don't go anywhere. Stay put. It only gets better. If this is your first time listening in to Rusty Moy, don't allow it to be your last. On this platform, you're getting inflation, infrastructure, global warming, dating 101, entrepreneurship, economics, investment, foreclosure, and the steps of buying your first home, and much, much more. So don't allow this to be your first episode. Continue to follow Rusty and this promising creative journey. Welcome, welcome, guys. If you're just joining in on this phenomenal episode, then I just want to let you guys know why, what I mentioned earlier, I'm going to discuss why is inflation rising right now? That is the episode. And inflation is huge. And I can't stress that enough with so many individuals being out of work or going back to work into part-time and full-time opportunities and trying to figure out how to keep food on the table and to keep a budget. It has been rough and it's only going to get rougher starting September 4th with so many individuals losing their unemployment benefits, their PUA and much, much more. So we have to stick by our budgets and have a plan in place. So I hope you enjoy this episode and you give it a thumbs up and continue to follow Rusty Moy within her journey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I thank you so much for joining me right here. Your host, Rusty Moy. And being a part of this episode is 
very, very, very interesting episode, I must say. Episode one, nine ways to build a side business without quitting your day job. There's many of us that have day jobs, but feel that they need extra income, figure they need to do something different. Maybe they just want to step out of their comfort zone and don't know how to do it and don't know how to take the steps. Or maybe you do and you're just not ready to step out yet or you just have this fear. But no need to fear because Rusty Moy's here. Quitting your day job to pursue the entrepreneurial dream can be stressful. It can be terrifying. It can even sometimes be annoying. Fortunately, anyone can easily make extra money from a side hustle without losing the security of a steady paycheck. There are millionaires and many others that give practical advice on turning your side hustle into abundant cash cow. And I want to discuss with you guys one main perspective to start out. And with that one main perspective, you might feel tremendously pressured while birthing your idea and simultaneously performing in a full-time job. Instead of perceiving pressure as a problem, embrace it. The high force you to be decisive, clear, effective with your goals. Before you jump off the cliff and get your business going, consider a business partner. Find someone with opposite complementary uh, strengths to make the best chance of winning. Also, you want to relook at your current job. Relook it over. Think about your current job. Poor people try to replace income sources. Rich people add. Don't hesitantly quit your job for greener pastures until you're certain you can make more with your time elsewhere. Until then, get better at your current job. Flip your mindset to increasing production within the time you have. When I know a friend of mine that sold cars, I learned how they financed them. The finance manager didn't have to stay late. The dealer didn't need to take another salary. The customer was taking care of it. And I learned the extra money and everyone actually won. And I learned from observing, asking questions and being a part of something rather than standing on the sideline trying to figure things out. When you do start your side hustle, make somebody closely connected to your main income source so you can give both proper attention. Most people start a side hustle uh, getting excited, ignoring their main income stream, then end up with one source again. Commit to never ignoring your primary income source with a several income streams. You can build true wealth, but you got to do it right. So with a short commercial break, I'll be back on ways of doing it right and making it profitable. So don't go anywhere. It gets better. If this is the first time you're tuning in to Rusty Moy, don't allow it to be your last. This is a meaningful platform that can empower you, encourage you, help you step out your comfort zone and realize your true creativity, just like I did. So, don't allow this to be your last episode. Continue to follow me the rest of this year with better episodes to come. So, don't go anywhere.
Welcome, welcome, welcome back, guys. If you're just joined in to this episode, well, episode one, nine ways to build a side hustle without quitting your day job. So a side hustle, side business, something that you want to tap into and be creative. And if you're just joining me, I've been discussing the ways how you can maybe some few ideas that may be helpful um, to relook at your current job, but don't quit it. Don't think the, gr- the grass is green on the other side, which is an old saying, but a true saying, because um, you don't want to just jump into something and then find out, hey, this is not my niche or I'm not making enough to keep my lecture or my gas on. So you want to make sure that you take the prop, the actual step by step. Make sure it's done right and do the research. So buy an existing profitable business. And I'm going to discuss that a little bit more in detail. Consider buying an existing profitable business. There's millions of people that made 13 business acquisitions over the years. It's most easier to build on a proven business model with incremental enhancements than creating something from nothing. With acquisitions, leverage, the seller support experience insight during the transition. Strategically financing your business acquisitions so you don't pay off the cash up front. If the financial records are clean, you can qualify for a small business administration loan, which is anywhere between 10 to 20% down payment. With an already successful business, you can focus on financing the deal and delegate closed rules to grow the business further. So that's something that you can consider, but doesn't have to realistically work that way because you may want to do something where there's no, you don't need a startup or a non-profitable, which is, again, sometimes you don't need that startup cost. So you can think of ways to make it work. So also I want to add, considering your passion and your time, your passion, your creativity, and your time is meaningful. So make sure you use it right. I know with my creativity, I want to make sure that I'm using my creativity to not only just benefit myself, but to benefit others around me that see this creativity and I can share this, even if I can share it for free and not even be paid for it. Because some of us have to share it for free until we get a little bit more um, creative, more um, understanding to our niche and being able to uh, make it marketable. Because sometimes when we, as soon as we jump out the gate, we're not marketable. So we have to work a little bit harder and sometimes we have to do free services until we get to the point where we can say, hey, I'm going to put a price tag on it. So we always don't put a price tag on right away. It takes time to build reputation, rapport, and much, much more. So that's just take our time. Also, I want to add, when starting a side hustle, find something you're excited about and even don't mind spending time on, just like I did. I think some of my side hustles might have been jewelry, might have been cosmetics, might have been theater, film, um, could have been babysitting, could have been helping out with a loved one. So we all have side hustles. So figure out what your side hustle is and maybe you won't be able to get a whole lot of money, but it'll just be a side hustle. It could be selling on eBay, selling on Craigslist, being a reseller, whatever you decide your hustle is, you could be selling dinners out of your home. Whatever you're deciding to do, make it work for you and make it work for your family. I know someone, a friend of mine, the first time they sold on eBay as in uh, like a golfer, I noticed the golf clubs were selling like gangbusters and started browsing the garage sales to see if I could find, you know, one to resell or, um, you know, one that I could probably uh, purchase and, 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 you know, get for a, a friend. I purchased almost a new Callaway Big Bertha for $20 and it was listed 
And um, it was really, I would say, worth about 100 bucks. And I said, hey, this is uh, some pretty good golf equipment. And it's on eBay after all. So this is not bad. So this is one person I know, Side Hustle. They turned their Side Hustle into a full-time job. And that's what they do. They're a reseller. They resell everything. Furniture, um, parts for cars, golf equipment, basketball equipment, tennis equipment, all kind of stuff. So they are a, re a reseller for things they figure people may need. So that may be something you might want to tap into and learn a little bit more about. Because some people make pretty good with reselling. Okay. Harness an actionable audience. A great side hustle pays you for what you do anyway. Um, I just know during my college years, there were many opportunities that could have presented itself for me, maybe full time. And I just really wanted something like a part time side hustle where I'm just, you know, getting enough maybe just to pay books, pay for books, maybe for the cell phone bill. And, you know, it's services where you can purchase candles and, and do resale, you know, um, with Facebook Marketplace. There's so many ways that you can build a platform for yourself right through social media. You can create your own ads and you don't have to have a physical website. You don't have to be all fancy pants soon as you start out. It can be something through Facebook Marketplace. It can be something through Instagram where you can sell there. Or some people sell through other platforms um, such as, um, what is that other one? eBay, I know it's one. And um, Poshmark is another and there's other ones out there that I'm probably missing right now. There's a great way to market yourself and there's keeping the the, the, um, the fees down and keeping it down to a minimum where you're not spending a lot. You're not having a huge overhead or people that are working for you or anything like that where you can do things independently from the comfort of your own home. So with a short commercial break, I'll be back with a little bit more in this episode and hoping that you enjoy it. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear it. Hey guys, have you ever thought about a side hustle? Have you ever thought about selling on Poshmark? Well, hey, don't think any longer. Set your account up and sell on Poshmark. Have you ever thought about selling on Facebook? Stop worrying about what it won't do. Stop worrying about your, your brand not being marketable. If you know you have a niche, tap into it. Don't sit there and let time pass you by and not make any money. Make your coin, but also realize that there's so many things you can do with not having a big budget. So, if you're listening to this episode and you want to learn a little bit more during this commercial break, join in with Rusty Moy, and it will be worth it. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, guys. If you just joined in to this episode, don't go anywhere because it gets better right here on this platform. I'm discussing something that people always want to know about. Nine ways to build a side business without quitting your day job. Yeah, many of us want a side hustle. Everyone want to make an extra coin and they're not sure how with the proper measurements would be or they figure that they're going to spend way too much and they just don't have it in their budget. Don't worry about any of that. 
try to figure out how to um, manage your spare time and realize what your talents are right from the beginning. And don't sit there and second guess what's going on because there's many opportunities available. And don't sit there and think that you can't when you know you can. So nothing more, nothing less. I want to discuss a little bit more. Take in your passion and see if there's an audience for it. Then create a revenue stream by harnessing people's interests. Today, it's so much you can do with videos, producing music that drives customers' engagements. It's a side hustle and it's passion. So never feel like it's work. It's fun from the very beginning. Number six, build Rome in a day. One, find your favorite household item. For example, is it mayonnaise? Is it books? Is it doggy bits? Or is it something else? To build a click funnel, Spotify or Amazon store. Three, three, create a Stripe or brain free account. Four, from an LLC on a legal Zoom and create a business bank account. Five, use Facebook ads to drive traffic to your product. These steps can be accomplished in under a month with a full-time job. So it's not like you got to leave your home. You don't have to travel. You don't have to do anything. It just tap into your resources. Number seven, start with a 30-minute day, then outsource. The time versus money value is usually the most important factor to becoming wealthy. The difficult part about having a job is you don't have free time to build a business. E-commerce, drop shipping specifically, for me, is very easy, okay? This is a side hustle that you could do, which quickly became a million-dollar business. Set aside time, even if it's 30 minutes per day to work on your side hustle. Outsource your work and get help from freelancers like Upwork and Fiverr. These people can help you to build so much confidence and something you always wanted. So it may cost you, but I've always was told you gotta spend a little to get a little, okay? Because no one's gonna do it for free. Number eight, build a self-managing side hustle. Create a side hustle that leverages your time and manages itself. The three pillars of a self-managing side hustle are learning to sell online, creating valuable products, and building a distribution system. You can learn to sell anything online just by watching a few videos with basic sales, funnel software, click funnels, or lead pages. For creating your value products, guys, such as courses, checklists, or cheat sheets, your one-time effort can have an, ex an ex creative impact. The fastest distribution system is building an email list for trading a value product to acquire leads. Ultimately, when you have a self-managing business, you instantly have options and cash flow. The two results that every entrepreneur loves, okay? Number nine, make it sustainable, guys. You got to make it sustainable. It's not going to be great unless you make it sustainable. Don't quit your day job. I can't stress it enough. Don't quit your day job until you have enough revenue to support your current lifestyle with side hustles. I knew a friend who wanted to be in a t-shirt business. She was very passionate about the process, the product she could find and provide, and the lifestyle she would create. Blinded by her passion, she quit her day job without one client or perspective. This put a financial strain on her and her family because she wasn't thinking clearly, guys. When you have an idea, Work on it during off hours, evenings, weekends, until it's fully sustainable. With this method, you will be able to minimize risks, generate stable cash, cash flow, and your passion. So never think that, hey, 
I got this covered. I have it in the bag and have nothing else to worry about because it's not true. And you have to be very, very careful that you can sink into a, a sinkhole and not realize it because you were very confident and you wasn't aware of what was going on. So, guys, I'm hoping you have comments and concerns and you want to learn a little bit more about this episode because Rusty Moy wants to hear from you. I want to hear the good, bad, and indifferent, and all your comments and concerns. So, don't go anywhere. Don't leave. Continue to be a part of this episode. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope you guys did too. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's your host, Rusty Moy, once again. I'm joining you on this platform with many pressing issues in mind, but only one episode that I'll be discussing. With unemployment ending the week of September 4th and individuals uh, being pushed out of their homes and so many homes being in foreclosure, I don't know what the next few months of this year is going to bring. But I just want to stay hopeful for so many families, so many children, so many friends of mine, and many, many more that what's happening with these pressing issues with our economy, that things won't just continue to get worse, but individuals will find a means of income and find housing during this challenging, challenging, challenging time and pandemic. But with episode one, I want to discuss income and poverty in the United States. It's been pressing through 2019 and beyond, and even longer than that. With the recent reports, data on income earnings, income inequality, and poverty in the United States, based on information collected through 2020 and even into 2021. An earlier current population survey, an annual social and economic supplement conducted by the USA Bureau, has mentioned many things, but highlighted one important income the medium household income was sixty eight thousand seven hundred and three dollars in twenty nineteen an increase of six point eight percent from the twenty eighteen medium of sixty four thousand three hundred and twenty four but that's for different individuals okay the twenty nineteen real medium income of family households and nine family households increased seven point three percent and 6.2% from their respective 2018 estimates. This is the fourth consecutive annual increase in a medium household income for family households and the second consecutive increase for nine family households. The 2019 medium income for white, black, Asian, and Hispanic households all increased from their 2018 medium. Real medium household income increase for all regions in 2019 and beyond in the Northeastern, 4.8% in the Midwest, and 6.1% in the South, and 7.0% in the West. I want to discuss the earnings. Between 2018 to about 2021, the real medium earnings of all workers and full-time year-round workers increased 1.4% and 0.8% respectively. The 2020 real medium of men was 57,456 and women 47,299 
who worked full-time year-round increased by 2.1% and 3.0% respectively. Earlier in 2019, females to male earnings ratio was about 0.823, not statistically different from 2018 ratio. But what I will say is between 2018 and 2019, the total of people with earnings, regardless of work experience, increased by 2.2 million. The number of full-time year-round workers increased by approximately 1.2 million. So these are the statistics, guys. This is what we know. These are the facts of what's going on and what's been going on pre-COVID. I want to discuss poverty. In the official poverty rate in 2019, it was 10.5% down. 1.3% points from 11.8% in 2018. The fifth consecutive annual decline in poverty since 2014. The poverty rate has fallen 4.3% points from 14.8% to 10.5%. That's a big drop. The 2019 poverty rate, hear me out, of 10.5% is the lowest rate observed since estimates were initially published, okay? And that's during 1959. In 2019, there were 34.0 million people in poverty in 2019, approximately 4.2 million fewer than 2018. For all demographic groups shown, we have seen poverty rates in either 2019 were either lower than or not statistically different from those in 2018. But what I will say is 2018 and 2019 poverty rates declined for all races and Hispanic origins. Groups shown the poverty rate for white decreased 1.0% to 9.1%. The poverty rate for black blacks decreased by 2.0 percentage to about 18.8%. The poverty rate for Hispanics decreased by 1.8%. So look at these numbers here, guys, to 15.7%. The poverty rate for Asians decreased 2.8% points to 7.3%. Okay, between 2018 and 2019, Poverty rates for people under the age of 18 decreased 1.8% pointed from 16.2% to 14.4%. Poverty rates decreased 1.2 percentage points for people aged 18 to 64 from 10.7% to 9.4%. The poverty rate for people aged 65 and older decreased 0.9 percentage point from 9.7%. So the senior citizens, 65 and older, have been struggling tremendously, tremendously, guys. And there it is. I have not, I have not sat down and believed in my mind that our seniors were not going through these challenging times because they were experiencing poverty, you know, hunger, and many, many other pressing issues. So we all have been experiencing so much. And I don't know if we, we haven't been aware of it or we're not sure what's going on or we didn't look at it as it being a huge issue, but it is. So with a short commercial break, I will be back with a little bit more in this episode talking about um, the actual percentages and what's going on and the household medium incomes. So don't go anywhere. 
Hang on tight. It gets better from here. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. If you're just joining me, it's just getting better. I want to discuss the household medium income, um, the poverty line, health insurance, and many other factors right here with your host, Rusty Moy. So it's continuing on. An income in poverty and health insurance coverage in 2019 reveals impressive growth in the medium household income. Relatedly to 2018 across all racial and ethnic groups, but income gaps persist. While the census cautions that 2019 income estimates may be overstated due to a decline in response rates for the survey administrated in March of, I would say, 2020, real medium household incomes increased 10.6% among Asian households from 88,000 guys, 774 to 98,174, 88.5% among black households were 42,447 to about 46,000, okay? Among Hispanic households were at 52,382 to about 5613. And 5.7 among non-Hispanic white households were at 71,922, okay? To about 76,000 uh, range, okay? And 2019, the medium black household earned just... 61 cent for every dollar in income, okay? The median white household earned up to about 59 cents in 2018, while the medium household earned, Hispanic household earned 74 cents, okay? The real medium household income by race and ethnicity, I did discuss in detail, and I, I had you guys realize, you know, where we're at and what we're doing. African-American, Household finally surpassed their um, procession medium income of 12 years after the start of the Great Recession in 2007. The last racial group to do so compared with the household incomes in 2007, medium household income in 2019 were about 21.1% for Hispanic households, 11.3 for Asians, 8.2 for non-Hispanic white households, and 6.3 for African-American households. 
Unfortunately, this recovery of income has been cut short by a massive job loss, particularly for Blacks and Hispanic workers during the current pandemic recession. So the poverty and 2019 rates also reflected the strong income growth between 2018 and 2019. And also cautions that the poverty estimates may be an understatement due to decline in response rates as seen and poverty rates for all groups were down, but remained highest among African-Americans, 18.7% down 2.0 percentage points, followed by Hispanics down 1.9% points, Asian 7.3% down 2.3% and white 7.3% down and 0.8 percentage points. African-Americans and Hispanic children continue to face the highest poverty rates. More than one quarter, 25.6% of African-Americans and more than one-fifth of 20.9% of Hispanics under age 18 lived below the poverty level in 2019. African-American children were more than three times as likely to be in poverty as white children at 8.3%. Overall, poverty rate and poverty rate of those at age 18 by race and ethnicity was quite low from um, the Hispanic and Black community. The Supplemental Poverty um, Alternative to Long-Running Official Poverty Measure provides an even more accurate measure of household economic vulnerability. While the official poverty rate captures only about taxed cash income, um, the SPM counts for various non-cash benefits and tax credits, which is called the Supplement Poverty Measure. So it's SPM also allows for geographic variability and what constitutes poverty based on differences in the living costs. According to 2019, the official's poverty measured understates poverty among Hispanics in 2019 and the rate was 18.9 versus 15.7 by the official poverty measure. Asians were 11.7 versus 7.3 and non-Hispanic whites were 8.2 versus 7.3% of the Asian Americans in comparisons. While measuring produced relatively similar rates for African Americans at 18.3 versus 18.7%. Guys, these are the numbers. This is what I'm stating of what's going on for the median household income, how the poverty level is with Asian Americans, um, but more so the African American and Latino American community. This is the real facts and it's getting worse. As we continue to go along, we have to realize the proper measurements and what we can do to stand firm and be able to not live in poverty and have the things that we stand in need of. But we must put the, the hard work in and realize how we can stand upon what's going on right now and gain more substantial income. So with a short commercial break, I'll be back with a little bit more in my episode finishing up. And I hope you enjoyed it. If this is your first time joining Rusty Moore on this platform, it's creative, it's meaningful, it's empowering, and most important, it's relatable. You want to have a podcaster that has relatable, creative, fun, but most importantly, a dedicated podcaster that's willing to dedicate creativity with you and have you involved in each episode and make that episode relevant. 
thank you thank you thank you guys and welcome back this episode has made me realize what else i need to do to step up to break barriers to set platforms for all minorities but most importantly setting platforms for individuals that are maybe re-entering re-entering the workforce or maybe entering the workforce for the first time you might have been staying home and maybe taking online courses or maybe you just graduated from college or maybe you were just um, a nanny and you just need to figure out what's the next steps of life. If you joined this episode with Rusty Moy and it made you realize how the household income is for Asian Americans, white Americans, African Americans and Latino Americans and you want to do something different, well then, hey, jump into opportunities that can only push down the barriers and build opportunities for all individuals. So I thank you so much for joining this episode and tune in for more meaningful, creative content by Rusty Moy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I thank you so much for joining Rusty Moy, your host. It's always great to be on this platform with information, creativity, and much, much more. In episode one, I'm discussing inflation prices on the rise, and they're definitely on the rise and been on the rise, and hopefully things will get better and not worse. So let me just dive right into it. It may be one of the most familiar words in economics, inflation. It has plunged countries into long periods of instability. Central bankers often inspired to be known as inflation hawks, which I know, and you probably know as well. Politicians have won elections with promises to combat inflation, only to lose power after failing to do so. Inflation was even declared public enemy number one in the United States, I believe by President George Ford, in 1974. When then is inflation and why is it so important? Inflation is the rate of increase in prices over a given period of time. Inflation is typically a broad measure such as the overall increase in prices or the increase in the cost of living in a country, but it can also be more narrowly calculated for certain goods such as food or for services such as haircuts, hairstyling, for example. Whatever the context, inflation represents how much more expensive the relevant set of goods or services has become over a certain period, most commonly within a year. Measuring inflation, consumers' cost of living depends on the prices of many goods and services and the share of each in the household budget. To measure the average consumer's cost of living, government agencies conducted a household survey to identify a basket of commonly purchased terms and items and track it over time. The cost of purchasing this basket could be housing expenses, including rent and mortgages, constituting the large component of the consumer basket in the US. The cost of this basket is at a given time expressed relative to a base year as a consumer price, which is indexed. And the percentage change 
which I may call the CPI over a certain period and consumer price inflation. So the CPI is the consumer price inflation, the most widely used measure of inflation. So for example, in this base year, the CPI is 100 and the current CPI is 110. Inflation is 10% over the period. So I hope you guys got that. Core consumer inflation focuses on the underlining and persistent trend in inflation by excluding prices set by the government and the more prices of products such as food and energy most affected by seasonal factories or temporary supply conditions. Core inflation is also watched closely by policymakers. Calculation over an overall inflation rate for a country says and not just for consumers require an index with broader coverage such as GTP or deflator. What I also know is the CPI basket is most kept constant over time for consistency, but is tweaked occasionally to reflect changing consumption patterns, like uh, including new high-tech goods and to replace items no longer widely purchased because it shows how an average price change over time for everything produced as an economy. The contents of the GTP deflator vary each year and are more current than the most fixed CPI basket. On the other hand, the deflator includes non-consumer items such as military spending and therefore not a good enough measure of cost of living. So there's a lot of factors that I wanna discuss, but most importantly, I wanna talk about the good and the bad. So when a short commercial break, I'll be back, discuss a little bit more of inflation, the good and bad. So don't go anywhere, it gets better. Continue on to the extent that households 
nominal income which they receive in current money does not increase as much as prices. They are worse off because they can afford to purchase less. In other words, their purchasing power or real inflation adjusted income falls. Real income is approximately for the standard of living. When real incomes are rising, so is the standard of living and vice versa. In reality, price changing at a different pace, some such as the prices of trade, comedies, change every day, others such as wages established by contract take long to adjust, or as sticky and economic parlance in an inflationary environment uneventually rises prices inevitably reducing the purchase power of some consumers and the region of real income is the single biggest cause of inflation. So listen up. Inflation can also distort purchasing power over time for recipients and payers of fixed interest rates. Taking pensioners who receive a fixed 5% yearly increase to their pension. If inflation is higher than 5% and pensioners purchasing power falls. On the other hand, guys, a borrower who pays a fixed rate mortgage of 5% would benefit from 5% inflation. So let me break it down. Because the real interest rate, the nominal rate minimus of the inflation rate would be zero. Servicing this debt would be even easier if inflation were higher. As long as the borrower's income keeps up with inflation, the lender's real income, of course, suffers. How do I know this? Experience, research, but most importantly, experience. To the extent that inflation is not factor into nominal interest rates, some gain and some lose purchasing power. So that's when I spoken about good and bad. So now, indeed, many countries have grappled with high inflation, and in some cases, hyperinflation, which is 1,000% or more a year. In 2008, Zimbabwe experienced one of the worst cases of hyperinflation ever, with estimate annual inflation at 1.5 billion percent. Such high levels of inflation have been disastrous, and countries have had to take difficult and painful policy measures to bring inflation back to reasonable levels, sometimes by giving up their national currency, as Zimbabwe had. Although high inflation hurts an economy, deflation or falling prices is not desirable either. When prices are falling, guys, consumers delay making purchases if they can anticipating lower prices in the future. For the economy, this means less economic activity, less income generated by producers, and lower economic growth. So what about Japan? It's one country with a long period of nearly no economic growth, larger because of deflation, preventing, so stay with me here, preventing deflation during the global financial crisis that began in 20, 2007, was one of the reasons the USA Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world kept interest rates low for a low for a prolonged period and have instituted other monetary policies to ensure financial systems have plenty of liquidity. Okay. Most economics now believe that low, stable, and most importantly, predictable inflation is good for an economy. I think inflation is low and predictable. It is easier to capture it in price adjustment, contracts, and interest rates, reducing its, I guess, disciplinarial impact, you can say, moreover, knowing that prices will be slightly higher in the future, giving consumers 
and assisting them to make purchases sooner. So what I've learned is which boosts economic activity, many central bankers have made their primary policy objective maintaining low and stable inflation, a policy called inflation targeting. So with a short commercial break, I'm going to discuss what creates inflation. So don't go anywhere. Ah, it gets better ah. from here. Inflation is something that we all have experienced. Inflation is impressive. We see that the market, the gas pump, through our insurance, through our COVID, in many other ways, don't turn your head and believe that it. it's not happening because it's happening. Inflation is real and it's pre COVID. So don't think it's not happening. Welcome back, welcome back. I thank you so much for joining me with this episode on inflation. But before I went on that commercial break, if you're just joining me, I discuss what creates inflation. And I want to discuss it right here and break it all down and make it make sense or maybe have you to understand a little bit better. So I'll dive right in. Long lasting episodes of high inflation are often the result of lax monetary policy. If the money supply grows too big relatedly to the size of an economy, the unit value of the currency diminishes. In other words, its purchasing power falls and prices rises. This relationship between the money supply and the size of the economy is called theory of money. Okay? No, I want to say quantity theory of money. How is that? Quantity theory of money. And it's one of the oldest hypotheses in economics. So I'll tell you why I said that. Pressures on the supply or demand side of the economy can also be Inflammatory supply shocks that distribute production, such as natural disasters or rise production costs, such as high oil prices, can reduce overall supply and lead to cost push inflation, in which this for prices increase comes from a disruption to supply. The food and fuel inflation of 20, 2008 was such a case for the global economy sharply rising food and fuel prices were transmitted from country to country by trade. Conversely, demanded shocks such as stock market and government rises spending can temporarily boost overall demand and economic growth. However, this increase in demand exceeds an economy production capacity. The result straining on resources is reflected in demand for full inflation. But what our policymakers know is most must find the right balance between boosting demand growth when needed without overstimulating the economy and causing inflation. What I expect is to play a key role in determining inflation, help people or firms anticipate higher prices. They build these expectations into wage negotiations and contractor prices adjustments, such as an automatic rent increase. And I want to bring awareness to this. This behavior partially determines the next period of inflation. Once the contracts are exercised, and wages, wages or prices are rise as is greed, expectations become self-fulfilling and to extent that people base their expectations on the recent past inflation would follow similar patterns over time resulting into inflation 
arena. How policymakers deal with inflation? Well, what I do know is the right set of disinflationary policies, those aimed at reducing inflation depends on the causes of inflation. If our economy has overheated central banks and they're committed to ensuring price stability, can implement contract, con contractionary policies that rent and aggregated demand, usually by rising interest rates, some central bankers have chosen with varying degrees of success to impose monetary discipline by fixing the exchange rate, tying the value of its currency to that of another currency and thereby is a monetary policy to that of another country. However, what I, what I learned is inflation is driven by global rather than domestic developments, such as policies may not help. In 2008, when inflation rose across the globe on the back of high food and fuel prices, many countries allowed the high global prices to pass through to the domestic economy. In some cases, the government may directly set prices as some did in 2008 to prevent high food and fuel prices from passing through, such as, such as administrative price setting measures, usually resulting in government um, large subsidizing bills to compensate producers for lost income, whatever. Central bankers are increasingly relying on their ability to influence inflation expectations as an inflation reduction tool, whatever. And policymakers announce their intention to keep economic activity low temporary to bring down inflation, hoping to influence expectations and contracts built infl inflation components. And what they thought would be more credible, central banks have the greater to the influence of their pronouncements of inflation expectations. And that's what they believe as policyholders that they would be able to do with inflation. Some, it's, some of it's a bunch of bogey, and I believe that the only way for us to be ahead of the inflation is to realize that it is inflation, one, take accountability of inflation, and realize that what we're spending, watching our coin, not overspending, and realize what we're bringing in, household by household size. If you know you're making or bringing in $30,000, that's your household size, it's $40,000, $50,000, don't go above that and go $100,000, $200,000 in debt, and you know you're only bringing in $30,000 or it's $60,000 combined, that stay up right in our means of what we're doing or try to bring in more. Let's not go above what we're bringing in. And we're seeing that inflation, because we're seeing it at the food, food market, we're seeing it at the grocery, we're seeing it at the gas pump. And when we make big purchases, we see this inflation. So we know that we only have a certain amount of um, financial support, financial gains, a certain amount of revenue that we're bringing in. And we know that we are you know, behind and been behind pre-COVID. And then when COVID hit, we got even more behind. So let's be realistic with our numbers and know what we can and cannot do and try to figure out ways, which I've had in one of my episodes, of bringing in seven to 10 streams of income, having supplement income so we can be able to um, live through and among this inflation and realize that this is something that all of us has been experiencing 
and don't put it on pandemic. This is pre-pandemic. And I mentioned 2007, 2008, because I want to bring awareness that this did not just happen in 2019, 2020, 2021. This is a good, bad, and indifferent that we are going through and believing that this is normal. Inflation is not normal. And we are living in it and have been. And this is the poverty line that we're in because we are not probably realizing that this is inflation right now. So let's realize it, let's do something about it, and take accountability. I thank you so much for listening into this episode. I hope it was very meaningful, and I hope that it was very rewarding for individuals that are not aware of inflation or don't believe that it's real. I know at one time or another, I knew that it was so real. I've been this before 2007, because I felt it, and others around me did, that I knew that there was other, and I will discuss this in my next episode, other things and other ways to fight through inflation. And I will discuss fighting through inflation in my next episode. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And enjoy, enjoy, enjoy this episode. And there's more meaningful content ahead. So don't go anywhere. Do it, do it, do it. In the on the beach. Do it, me. Insane.